Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Brooklyn, New York. A young man, 18 years old, sits next to his living room window. He's gazing distantly out towards the city streets, watching as strangers walk by. He has much on his mind and little of it good. A woman close to his age, older by a margin, not great enough to mark a difference to the passive viewer, enters. He looks up briefly, sadness apparent in his eyes as she approaches to join him. Tea? A demure voice asks. Not right now. Thank you, though. He replies, before returning to stare vacantly at the pedestrians beyond the glass. Last night was difficult, I know, but you must continue doing what it is that you've always done. The strength that carried you through 2015. The willpower that brought you from Mandeville to this point in your... No. Our lives. That has to be your focal point. Don't throw it all away. You've dealt with much worse. The man looks to his companion with gratitude in his eyes. Her words are his stalwart comfort. I just... miss him so much. The woman's eyes remain fixed, waiting. Lou, I'm waiting. She says, this time with a bit of sarcasm in her voice. A smile was threatening to form the corners of her mouth, which would spell disaster at this exact moment. After a moment of almost palpable effort, Lou Woods relieves a harsh sigh, and his mask of misery was quickly replaced with a brief smile of his own. Shit, sorry, Jess. I just can't cry on command. I told you this before you wrote this out. Jessica Lum, who was both Lou's girlfriend and self-appointed director of public relations, allowed herself to chuckle a bit as well. Looks like we're going to have to break out the stage tears again. Oh, Jess, you know I hate those damn things. Oily is all hell, and I think they clogged my pores last time. I'm not too old for pimples yet. Do you really want that shit on your YouTube thumbnail? Well, Lou, had that bitch down in Mandeville not tanked our spotlight last night on Jack Elder, we likely would be done with his online diary crap. Can't believe Elder's producers let that bullshit happen. I mean, this was your moment. Yeah, I know. Freaking Jane Alabama, whatever her name is. And why the hell did she get to call in and, and cowboy the whole damn interview? Her name is Arkansas. I've been doing my research since last night. Remember that rich guy that was murdered in Mandeville a while back? That was her daddy. I guess since then, the girl's just been, I don't know, some, some sort of mission to expose the town. She's recently appeared on some B-rate shit show called Cult Hunters. After her episode was filmed, the actors played the roles of her and... Your brother, and they were found murdered. It's all the buzz down there. You really should start watching the news, Lou. Jess. The day I start reading the paper or watching the news is the day I want you to shoot me in the face with a flare gun. Because that's the day I start turning into my dad. Death will be a welcomed mercy to avoid that fate. But Lou, if I shoot you with a flare, you'll turn into your brother. Lou the killer. Just doesn't have the same ring to it. So you're saying that Jeff the Killer does? Christ. Only my big brother could become an infamous serial killer and come out sounding like a... Fuck, I don't even know. If he danced like Michael, he could be Jeff the Thriller, Jessica announced, starting a routine that she and Lou came up with right after they started dating. Yeah, and if he calls you over to watch Netflix, he'd be called Jeff the Chiller. If he holds up the moral aptitude of a community, he'll be Jeff the Pillar. Damn, woman, why are you so good at this? Okay, if he was a pilgrim, he'd be Jeff the Miller. Weak. If he worked for the IRS, he'd be Jeff the Biller. Okay, if he if he was a shitty writer who couldn't stay away from purple prose, he'd be Jeff the Filler. Oh, Lou, you really tried there. If he rolled a natural 20 on a saving throw to avoid being hypnotized by an evil wizard, he'd be Jeff the Willer. I challenge. Willer is not a word, he demanded. Well, sweetie, I hate to break it to you, but Lou is not a name. Yet, you're still here. Challenge overturned. 
Damn, Jess. You had balls. By the end of their game, both Lou Woods and Jessica Lum were laughing in long, earnest bouts that required breaks to catch their breath. The aggravation of Jane Arkansas's telephonic intrusion from her call on Lou's live interview with Jack Elder the night before was starting to fade a bit. He was still annoyed over it, maybe even downright pissed. But there would be other chances. Until then, he still had his book deal, his check from appearing on Elder's show, and whatever publicity would come with it. Even if the world was more interested in some girl from Mandeville and her sob story, he was still the brother of Jeff the Killer. His check was written in cash the moment Jeff murdered their parents. Jane Alabama, or whatever her name was, could come and lap up the crumbs if she wanted to. There was only one Lou Woods, and he was determined to ride that name straight into celebrity status. On the subject of celebrities, Lou's sit-down with Elder had sported not only the aggravation of Jane calling in, ranting about the cover-up in Mandeville, the murder of two actors working with cult hunters, and about a million other portals into insanity, but he'd also been stood up by Randy Hayden, who was scheduled to be a surprise guest on the show. The idea had been cleared with Lou beforehand, as Elder didn't want his program to devolve into an afternoon talk show of drama and chair-throwing, and the youngest brother, Woods, had all been on board. Elder had teased dragging Lou through the painful memories of the fight at Friendly Video, a concept that was turning into his version of the OK Corral, while his guest sat there in feigned anger. Elder would lead into something along the lines of, If Randy was here today, would you face him? Lou fist-balled, eyes filled with stoic courage, yet body language that spoke only of chaos would nod once. Hopefully. Producing the elusive tear. Elder would then announce, Well, here he is. At this point, Randy would nervously walk onto the stage, hat in hand, shoulders shrugged, as he finally faced one of his victims in person. They would talk. They would tackle hard and emotional facets of their past, and in the end, the hug seen round the world. Forgiveness from Lou. Healing from Randy. It would have been a ratings bonanza. However, Randy never showed. Though Lou hadn't spoken to him personally, Elder's production team had assured all the audience that the legendary bully from Mandeville, son of tyrannical swindler Maxwell Hayden, wielder of the fateful flare gun, would indeed be present for duty when Elder called his name. That didn't happen. Lou had been informed before filming began that Randy simply fell off the face of the earth as far as the newsroom production staff could tell. Phone calls and voicemails went unanswered. Emails were ignored. Twitter messages fell on blind eyes, and in the end, and Rand- Randy Hayden was a no-show. Lou was furious, but thankfully, his ever-faithful friend, lover and keeper of secrets, although many she filmed, Jessica Lum had managed to calm him down and get him back on track. This sucks, Lou. But it's more camera time for you, okay? It's not like we're letting any of your fans down. You never promised them a meeting with Randy. It was supposed to be a surprise, so no PR damage done. Plus, if Randy does pop back up, this may get you another spot on Newsroom. Or maybe maybe The View or Dr. Phil. Now, who the fuck cares as long as it's camera time for you? Now go out there and knock him deader than your brother on a flare gun fueled. My mommy didn't love me murder spree. She always knew what to say. Jane had been a curveball, though, that even the crafty Jessica had not seen coming. The show was going all right. It was being broadcast live, and it was obvious to Jessica that Elder was throwing Lou too many softball questions. People liked the broken Lou, the damaged Lou, and the victim of the victim Lou. All of that was fine and dandy, but Elder was lingering too much on the parts of the story that everyone already knew. Anyone that picked up Monica Davenport's Jeff tapes could tell you about the emotional, neglectful parents. Anyone who watched Randy Hayden spill his guts to Leslie Matthews could tell you about the affluent bullies and the police force that refused to make a move against them or their families. She wanted Elder to dig into Lou's life after 2015. His long road to recovery while being bullied at Texas public schools after he was shuttled off to live with extended family. 
his grit to finding the strength to pour his pain into pages of his best-selling book, and of course, his future plans in New York. Before Elder could eventually, if he ever would have, shift the interview into new territory, though, Jane Arkansas had called in. She'd ranted about the issues that was still going on down in Mandeville. The death of some police officer with a goofy-sounding name. Jessica couldn't even remember it, but she recalled that it rhymed. The death of two bit-part actors who appeared in an even more bit-part cable television program hosted by King of All Bit-Parts, Derek I Crashed a Boat Reynolds, and a slew of other horror stories suddenly took over the entire show. Jessica held back rage as she watched Lou, who also appeared to be holding back the urge to scream, sit across from Elder while this woman from Mandeville hijacked the entire damn episode. Suddenly, it was as if she was being interviewed over the phone by Elder as Lou only sat and tried to nod here and there, although he actually hadn't been keeping up with any of the grisly little scenarios that had been, and according to Jane, still were unfolding in his former little suburb, as if he could contribute to the conversation. Jessica timed it, and Jane's little phone call ate up what equated to a whopping 37% of the entire hour-long presentation. In the end, Elder likely put her on the line with his scheduling people to try to get her spot on the show. Jessica was not happy. Get this, Lou, she told him afterwards, as they both turned to better living through chemistry to ease their angst at the whole debacle. Turns out that the cable network that carries Cult Hunters isn't going to air that episode now. At least, not until some time passes and the two actors are buried and mourned. Does this little Jane bitch really think she's fooling anyone? Her opportunity at the limelight was cancelled, so she had to steal yours. Fucking asshole. This is why girls hate each other. Lou, who had been using a credit card to mill through a white powder a powder that not only decorated a portion of his living room table, but also was dotted faintly above his upper lip and right below his nose, nodded with an accompanying grunt of agreement. Jess continued, According to the internet, she didn't even move to Mandeville until after you were out in Texas living with relatives. Her dad apparently pissed off some fucking idiot who liked to dress up as your brother. Post flair versions, of course. Of course, Lou agreed. Anyway, she moved into your old house. How do you like that? Said fucking idiot, then came over and burned the damn place down with, going by the internet at least, the intention of cooking Miss Arkansas inside. She'd been tied to a chair. Her lawyer rescued her at the last minute, apparently shooting the attacker, another Jeff clone, in the leg. He escaped in the chaos, but little Janie was rescued and got to steal your 15 minutes of fame as a parting gift. After a loud snorting session followed by a loud breath of euphoric satisfaction, Lou joined the conversation. Whatever, it's annoying, but honestly, that interview was over for me as soon as Randy bailed. What a dick! Guy shoots my brother with a flare gun, then can't even have the decency to repay me with some top-notch ratings. Lou's compass of success had not always pointed so diligently to the north, however. His teenage years after 2015 were not entirely pleasant. As he began to reflect, Jessica interrupted him as she began to turn off the cameras that she had set up to film a testimonial from Lou concerning his feelings after appearing on Jack Elder. He had not mentioned Randy or Jane during this video. Instead, he was to lament on the typical sad sack style that he employed when making most of his videos for Jess. On tape, he was the sad, broken brother. The humbled survivor, grieving orphan, and the ultimate beacon of sympathy. In reality, Lou Woods wanted his share of the profit from the crap his brother had heaped onto him four years ago. Lou had asked for none of this, yet it'd be delivered to him in the form of two slaughtered parents left to rot in a bedroom just a few yards down the hall from his own. Jeff had left, and in his wake was ruination. Lou had to live with it, and he decided some time ago that if he had to live as the brother of Jeff the Killer, he'd be damn sure to do it his way. Babe, I'm going to get some stage tears. Zits or not, you got to cry on this video. That's your money shot, kid. 
He looked up at his girlfriend as she was making her way to the door. Okay. Get food while you're out. If I have to stop and get you food, your ass better be camera ready when I get back. Real emotion, Lou. She left. Lou thought about what she'd said. Real emotions. He used to have those. Now that he had the house to himself, he decided to continue his reminiscing. He walked into the small bedroom that he and Jessica shared and opened up the case that held each and every video she'd ever shot concerning the past, present, and future of Lou Woods. Jessica had labeled them religiously. They were perfectly ordered. Lou found the video that he wanted immediately. The first. The story of what happened after Jeff Woods bid his brother farewell and vanished into the night. He returned to... This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com his living room and loaded the tape. He knew Jess would be out for a while. She was a slow shopper. He'd have time to watch his tape without interruption. He picked up the remote and he pressed play. Lou sat back and listened as his own voice and words washed over him. Jessica asked question after question and as Lou heard himself responding, his mind began to paint a picture. The pictures began to move and before long, the young brother of Jeff the Killer was enjoying a movie in his mind. The plot being moved along by his own retelling. He allowed his eyes to close so that he could watch the movie without any real-world distractions. Soon enough, his mind's eye took him back to Mandeville. Back to 2015. And the horror that became his life for quite some time. Lou Woods had been moved first to his Aunt Marcy's home in Abita Springs. He'd left her home less than 48 hours prior to the events that would change his remaining childhood years forever. He'd been sent to his aunt's as a punishment by his now-deceased parents for the fight between Jeff and Randy Hayden's friends, and believed that he'd been forced to remain there until the start of the second year. However, a careless act of stupidity with a loaded flare gun changed all of that. His mother informed her sister that her oldest son was lying in a hospital bed after an accident at a friend's house. Lou still remembered hearing his mom refer to Randy as a friend, and even until this day, it still angered him. That was just Sheila Woods for you, though. Some punk kid shoots her son with a flare gun, and she still finds a way to put a community-friendly spin on the situation. Marcy had driven Lou the short distance from Alberta Springs to Mandeville, but never wavered in complaining about the burden the task was placing on her. She repeated to her 14-year-old nephew several times that her car was old and she didn't like taking it so far from home. It was as if Marcy didn't care that her other nephew was in the hospital with severe burns to his face. She sighed loudly each time that she had to stop for a red light. She made no effort to expedite their trip to the hospital despite the fact that Lou was in a full-blown panic. After all, Jeff the Killer, had yet to be born. The teenager in the emergency room was just Jeff, still Lou's big brother and best friend. Once they finally did arrive, Lou immediately bolted from the car. He still recalled seeing Jeff lying in the bed with his face wrapped and IVs hooked to his arm. Marcy caught up eventually, and she and her sister began to talk in hushed tones. Matt Woods only sat and stared at his son. Lou saw that his eyes were red. His father had cried. And in the moment, Lou allowed himself to pretend to be a child 
with normal parents. He walked over to his father, who hugged him firmly. Lou, Jeff's going to be okay, I promise. EMTs assured us that the injuries to his face are not life-threatening. What happened, Dad? We don't know yet, but... Sheila Woods interrupted. We know. Jeff was playing with a flare gun, showing off for his friends. Lou could see that his mother had also shed tears, but he didn't feel the same level of empathy. He had a theory that Sheila's tears were more likely caused from the embarrassment of having her son injure himself. She was likely far more concerned about being labeled a bad mother than having her firstborn in the care of the ER. Then it dawned on him. What friends? He and Jeff hadn't made any friends since moving to Mandeville. The only other kids they'd met had been Randy, Keith, and Troy. They most certainly were not friends. Lou briefly pondered how absurd it would be if their mother had actually forced Jeff to go and hang out with those assholes from the video store parking lot. After finding out that Randy's father was in charge of the branch that his dad worked for, it would almost seem possible. Lou dismissed it, though, believing that such an act was far too outrageous for even his parents to come up with. And then... Sheila told him. It was Randy Hayden along with two of his friends. Those boys tried to talk Jeff into putting that flare gun away. I mean, why would he be so... Lou felt his own brand of anger growing although his was not laced with the same shades of blooming insanity that Jeff's had recently become. Despite his age, Lou was no fool when it came to the methods and thinking of his mother and father. He couldn't imagine a scenario in which Jeff and Randy's group would become friends so quickly, although he did have to admit that it was possible. Still, something in his mother's tone, the way she defended the three pieces of shit that accosted her child barely a week ago, something was there that Lou didn't like or trust. Why was Jeff hanging out with Randy? Lou let it be, Matt stated patiently. No, Dad. What really happened over there? I told you what happened, Lou, Sheila snapped. Let's take a walk, son, Matt said, and led Lou out into the hallway. Dad, I know you work for Hayden. I know our fight caused you some... some problems, maybe, but... But why was Lou there? Is mom telling the truth? Lou was waiting for his father's typical reaction. Stress, annoyance, and dismissal. So when his father began to engage his son's concerns, Lou was almost as shocked as when he'd first seen Jeff's condition. They continued to walk as Matt spoke. Lou... We're not going to know what really happened in that garage today until until Jeff wakes up and gives us his side of the story. They say that Jeff shot himself in the face out of negligence, but that was based only on the information given by these little rich assholes. I also couldn't help but notice that the same cop, Williamson, who came to our house last week was also investigating this incident. That cop's covering for Randy and his friends. I know, son. Believe me, it was almost impossible for me to stand there and listen to him scold you and Jeff about not locking up your bikes, as if that was justification for them to ride on them. Dad, if you know all of this, then why did you let Mom send me to Marcy's? And you, you still haven't told me why Jeff was hanging out with Randy today. Were they really friends all of a sudden? Or was there something else? Jeff and Randy weren't friends. Your mom and his mom were trying to smooth things over and... A pause from Matt Woods. No, I won't lie. Your mom wanted Jeff and Randy to get along because the Haydens are important people in this town. I'd already squared things away with Max Hayden for the most part. The idea of the kids trying to make friends... That came from your Sheila. Why does mom care so much about this shit? I'm sorry, crap. No, Luke. Shit is exactly what those kids are. Their family's wealth, the success that came from the parents they were just lucky enough to be born from, well, that becomes their shield and sword. It protects them. 
like with Williamson, and it could be used as a weapon, too. I've dealt with people like Hayden all my life. I worked my ass off to climb the damn corporate ladder, having to bow down to executives who likely produce the majority of Randys in the world. I hated it. Because, because Lou, no matter how many times you write the reports that make them look good to their bosses, no matter how many times you come in early so they can have hot coffee waiting, no matter how many times you kiss the goddamn ring, you're always trash to them. Just like me and Jeff are to Randy, Keith, and Troy. No. No. You are not. You and Jeff are better now than those little fucks will be in their entire life. I just wanted to make sure that you and Jeff never had to be like me, rolling away in a cubicle, complimenting some jackass's tie, and laughing at his jokes, all in the name of making a living. But Christ, Lou. I fucked this up royally, didn't I? I just don't understand why you and Mom have to act like you do. Why couldn't you have just stood up for us with Williamson? Why can't you stand up now? It's because I love Sheila so much. And one day you'll see what it's like. When you're married. Your mother's put up with a lot from me over the years as well. I've I've made mistakes in the past. She's chosen to forgive them. And this... This town, this illusion of status, it gives her something that I think... I... I may have taken away years ago. Dad, what? It's not for you to know, Lou, but... As much as I love your mother, I can't ignore the fact that my son is in the hospital because of some shithead kids. Trust me, Lou. Once we find out from Jeff's side of the story, if it turns out Randy and his friends did this, I won't have to worry about working for Max Hayden any longer because I'll put those kids' heads through a fucking wall. Despite the mental trauma that Lou felt he was drowning in, his father's words brought a genuine smile to his face. His father continued, Now listen, son. Don't take any of this to your mom. She's going to have to deal with this her own way, and you already know what that way is likely going to be. I'm going to support her, too. She has to go through the emotional distress of having an injured child. She... She may not show it in the best of ways, but she loves you both very much. She has her own cross to bear, and I hope one day you can understand that. I hope you won't hate her. Okay, Dad. I won't hassle, Mom. Good boy. Thank you. Look. Look, I'll, I'll take care of Sheila for the next few days if you agree to take care of Jeff. He's going to need a lot of emotional support, and I know having to rebuild some trust with him, and and I will. But in the meantime, he's going to expect you to be his shoulder to lean on. Can you do that for me, Lou? Of course, Dad. And thank you for talking to me. For being honest about this. I don't care what kind of house we live in or how much money that you make. I just want my dad. And Mom, too. You'll have us both. Once Jeff recovers, I'm going to take some time off work and maybe we can go camping or something. In that moment, Lou felt joy and peace come over him that he hadn't felt in ages. He felt like he was reunited with his father. He believed in his heart, without doubt, that things were going to get better now. He was wrong. Lou discovered his parents' murder on what would have otherwise been a rather typical late summer morning. The police were called. Reports were filed. Questions were asked. And a search was formed for Jeff. At the time, the assumption was that he was kidnapped by whoever murdered Matthew and Sheila. Crime scene investigations did their job, and as more evidence was compiled from the bloodbath left in the master bedroom... Lou couldn't help but notice the adults were telling him less and less. Something was going on that they didn't want him to know about. Lou was temporarily living with his Aunt Marcy, who, by the grace of God above, had rediscovered her ability to express compassion and empathy. He stayed secluded as much as possible, and said very little. 
He was being interviewed almost daily by police detectives, and based on their questions, he was starting to piece the rest of the puzzle together. So, you recall your brother waking up on the night of your parents' murder, correct? Asked the senior investigator for the Mandeville police. His name was Detective Mitchell Hardy. Yeah, it was his first night back from the hospital. He was acting strange most of the evening, but he just... Well, he'd just been through all the, you know, injuries, so I sort of... Lou replied. I understand that. He's been through a lot of traumas, right? So you mentioned that you tried to bring his behavior up to your parents earlier that evening. So that Jeff was making you nervous, is that correct? I mean, he kept looking at his face and saying weird stuff. I thought he might be depressed. My parents, they... They were tired, though, and they didn't want to talk. So tell me again what he said to you the last time you spoke. He... He said that I was free now. That I'd understand in the morning. Oh, man, do you, do you guys think that... Do you guys really think, Jeff? What I think, Lou, is that you lived through something really horrible. And you're being quite brave in helping us. You're a very strong young man. This investigation is just starting, so we have to explore every possible avenue. No one is accusing your brother of anything. We can't ignore evidence. You understand that, Lou? Yes, sir, Detective Hardy. Can I ask you a question? Certainly. Have you spoken to Randy Hayden? Or any of his friends from the day of the flare injury? About your parents? No. Do you believe they have information? I, th I think... I think they're the ones that shot Jeff with a flare gun. The cop, Williamson, he was there and... Hardy interrupted. Lou, I think right now we need to focus on your parents and finding your brother. I'm not just concerned with questioning him about the night of the murders, but I'm also concerned for his health. He's had quite a bad burn on his face and without proper care. He could get an infection and get sick, possibly even die. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. I, I know, I just... I, I want to find him, too. Good. So think really hard, Lou. I know you and Jeff weren't living in Mandeville for long, but is there anywhere you can think of where he would be hiding out? Do you guys have a hangout, you know, like a clubhouse or something? For a moment, Lou did have an idea. A place that he and Jeff discovered on the day they encountered Randy in the parking lot. However, Hardy was giving off a vibe now that Lou couldn't quite describe, but he certainly didn't care for. Perhaps it was because Hardy had started the interview on friend mode, just another friendly officer coming by to try to help piece Lou's life back together. However, just now, below the officer friendly lurked something else. An agenda that made Lou fear for his brother's safety. Hardy wasn't interested in getting Jeff medical attention. Hardy was interested in arresting and interrogating him. 
He also couldn't miss the very intentional dodge thrown by Hardy when the question of Randy was asked. He decided at that moment to tell the detective nothing. I'm sorry, sir. I can't think of anywhere Jeff may have gone. I just really hope you find him. After a few more questions, the interview was concluded and Hardy left, promising he'd be back in touch with Lou soon. It was soon after that, Williamson, Keith, and Troy were murdered. Lou was moved from Albita Springs within a matter of days. With the photograph of Jeff taken by Williamson's son released to the press, there was no longer any question that the oldest Woods brother was behind these killings. He was moved out to Texas, where some extended family lived. There, he was expected to start a new life, far away from his dead parents and insane big brother. Things, however, were far from ideal. At first, anyway. Jeff the Killer was becoming a national headline by this time, and despite moving to another state, Lou Woods was immediately identified by his peers at the school. They were not kind. Hey, Lou, did your brother fuck your mom after he stabbed her to death? <laughs> Came an insult one long, dreadful day, as the now orphaned teenager tried to push through math class. The teacher, a man who appeared to have less spine than hair, looked up from his newspaper, saw the brewing tension, and pretended as though he heard nothing. For a moment, Lou was torn. Anger rose within him, but along with it came a sense of defeat. He wanted to say something, and had he still possessed the unwavering confidence that he'd possessed when Jeff was alive, when Jeff, his best friend instead of a national headline, perhaps would have. Of course, if Jeff was still the brother that he'd grown up with, chances are he wouldn't have to deal with some asshole kid taking cheap shots at his dead parents. Hey, pussy, I asked you a question, the antagonistic classmate called out. Lou saw this for what it was. The same song and dance, perhaps set to a slightly different tune, perhaps in a new venue, but in the end, the same as always. The kid antagonizing Lou was named Trace Duncan. However, he demanded to be called Logan, for whatever reason, most likely because he imagined himself like the character Wolverine from the comics. Trace fancied himself a real badass, and since Lou had shown up in the classroom, he no doubt considered his and attempted to assimilate into a world that Trace also, and without a doubt, considered his. He had made Lou his verbal punching bag. The jokes were always the same. Dead parents this, crazy brother that, necrophilia sprinkled in for added impact. The other kids in class would snicker and Lou would juggle his options in his mind each time. Lou thought, I could fight, sure. If Trace is half as tough as he talks, he might very well kick the shit out of me. If I fight him and win, he'll likely show up with friends. He won't take a loss. I could try to strike back with insults or jokes. If I had a single friend in this class, or if half the students were either scared of Trace or just glad that he'd found a target that wasn't one of them, I might get a laugh from them. Of course, I tried that with Randy and his friends back in Mandeville. Made some stupid joke about me and Jeff saving up allowance to go screw his mom, and yeah, because she was a prostitute, huh, that's the joke. All that did was accelerated violence that might not have existed how we just picked up our bikes and walked away. Lou heard the familiar sound of notebook paper being ripped from the book, followed by it being balled up. He knew what was coming next. Pop. A ball of paper bounced off the back of Lou's head. So, now we move on to Act Two, Lou thought. The verbal jabs about my parents, the constant jokes about my brother, fucking them, and the, the class chestnut. Calling me a pussy didn't quite get me worked up, at least not visibly. So now our friend Trace, Logan Duncan, will begin the traditional tossing of the balled-up sheets of paper. He'll keep doing this until the bell rings. All the giggles and glee of all those around him, our illustrious teacher, Mr. Falcone, will simply sit behind his desk and pretend to grade papers. Because Falcone is also afraid of the Logans of the world. I'm sure Falcone isn't 
scared that Logan will beat him up, Falcon's afraid that Logan will openly defy him in front of the class, make our adult supervisor appear weak, meaningless, impotent, perhaps. So what do I do, God? Do I sit here and wallow in torment as Trace call me Logan Duncan gets his jollies at my expense? And if so, Lord, what do I gain? My brother and I remained obedient as our parents took our words of violent peers and crooked cops, and look where that got us. So please, dear God in heaven above, do stroke thy beard in my favor and tell me a screwed up kid has been cast from everything he's ever known what to do. Please. God chose to take the path so favored by the professional educator and the reader of newspapers, Mr. Michael Falcone, and remain the hell out of this mess. Finally, the bell rang, and Trace, I've got a hard-on for Wolverine Duncan, along with his snickering bard of idiots, left the room. Lou, as he did each and every day since moving to Austin and starting school there, stayed in his seat. Mr. Woods, class is over. Please go to your next assigned classroom, spoke the teacher proving that even he waited for the bullies to leave before moving. Mr. Falcone, did you not see all that? Trace ridiculing my parents, calling me a pussy, throwing stuff, throwing shit at my head? You did the right thing, Lou. Playing into their antics doesn't help anything. I know I did the right thing. I wish you had. Falcone appeared to consider correcting his student as he slowly crept towards insolence, but perhaps being aware of what the 15-year-old standing before him had endured barely one year ago, he chose to gesture towards the hallway and remind Lou that he had other classes to attend. There would be no more class today, though. He decided he had enough of Austin public education for one day and chose to head to the office and call home sick. His family would know that he wasn't really ill, but they'd informed him several times that should things get difficult, or should he start feeling overly stressed, that he should call home any time, and they would come and pick him up. For the first few months of the school year, Lou hadn't taken them up on that rather generous offer of rescue. But today, he decided he would. As he walked towards the principal's office, tucked away in the administrative annex, he let his head hang down as he continued to think about his current state of affairs. Falcone's just like Dad. He knows that the status quo is wrong, corrupt, vile. But he also knows that rocking the boat can be worse. Fucking Trace. Just another Randy. Well, I bet he has a really fat friend and a really skinny friend that follow him around and parrot whatever bullshit he throws around. This whole thing isn't unique at all. What happened in Mandeville, it's happening right here. Only thing that made the incident back home stand out was... Jeff. On some days, when Trace Duncan or some other mean-spirited schoolmate chose to make Lou the target of their fun, he'd realize that Jeff was a catalyst. A one-of-a-kind event that could happen in almost any walk of life, but rarely does. Bullies, negligent adults, corrupt officials... They're everywhere. Very few of them ever see what their actions can really produce. Jeff, though. He stood out from the typical victim of torment and abuse. Lou was convinced that no one believed that such a rage could exist within a young man like Jeff. A child who'd been raised with a good education, lots of outlets for these ever-growing connections to the world around him. Lou theorized that perhaps what transformed Jeff Woods, brother, teacher, and friend into the depraved ghoul known as Jeff the Killer, was that those little fail-safes, those little switches that kick on in people's minds, like the ones that told Lou not to instigate Trace, well, in the case of Jeff, those fail-safes simply failed. Jeff had described his anger as syrup, a metaphor that made Lou cringe a bit, but also hit home as accurate if not perhaps a bit overused. It leaked in, probably a little at a time over the years, that Matt and Sheila ignored them. It got worse with the move to Mandeville, though, and Jeff didn't want to be there. Randy and his friends contributed a crack or two, 
and the outright cartoonish treachery of Officer Williamson added a few more. Their parents sending Lou away, not caring that Randy had started the whole fight, that perhaps allowed the cracks to spread enough to spiderweb into each other, turning several small, most likely harmless breaks in the wall into large, deeper, and far more alarming holes in the armor. The flare gun, Jeff's face, and the emotional devastation of hearing the same parents that supported the criminally negligent police stylings of Williamson, the same mother that forced her son to try to engage with the very kid that kicked off the damn problems, and finally having to hear that his parents, even when he was lying in the hospital, chose to believe said lying asshole kids. Well, that shattered the wall. The failsafes were gone. Whatever was left of the old Jeff, the best friend and mentor, that was now floating in the same rage sea of madness, where the rage, the revenge, and the sweet syrup of sadistic bliss all met and became one. Lou began to realize that when a caterpillar goes into the cocoon, what comes out is not a new creature altogether. Whatever made up the caterpillar still exists within the moth. But the moth is now a composite of a lot of other factors that were perhaps locked up inside the caterpillar's genetic makeup, but kept dormant. Jeff was driven insane. Jeff was... complete, Lou whispered. Randy, our parents, Williamson, the disfigurement, it didn't create a new person, it simply... It unlocked too much. The reason that some people are sick fucks and others are good members of society, it's because only so much of our entire self can exist at once. When it all comes together, though... Uh, Woods, the male voice suddenly called from nearby, breaking loose concentration and bringing him crashing back into reality. It was the school's principal, Mr. Robinson. Yes, sir? He asked, walking over to the man. He really just wanted to sign out and go home, but he supposed that so long as he wasn't in the classroom, having paper balls thrown at his head, he could endure a few more minutes at school. Uh, I'm sorry, Woods. How do you say your first name? Is, is it pronounced Liu? This, similar to bullies and bastards, was another constant in Liu's life. He'd dealt with it since his first day of preschool, and before Jeff decided to take a kitchen knife to their mother and father... He honestly believed it might be the biggest concern that he'd ever have to live with. He supposed that even if the world one day forgot about Jeff the Killer, he'd still have to explain the correct pronunciation of his name for the rest of his life. That's pronounced Lou, sir. Just spelled weird. Lou counted down the seconds in his mind until the next inevitable question comment would follow. I take it that you get some Asian ancestry. Not that I know of, sir. Just parents that wanted to reinvent the wheel when it came to naming, I think. Very good, then. Now, Lou, I'd like you to do me a favor. You have a new student here, her first day at this school, in fact, and I know you've got class, but I'd like you to show her around. You're pretty new yourself, so you can let her know what to expect as a fresh transfer. Mind doing that for me? You wanted to go home. but upon seeing the bright eyes and warm smile of the face of the young woman who stepped out of the office to greet him, Lou decided that perhaps he could tough out the remainder of the day. Lou, this is Vivian Alexander. She transferred here from another Austin high school in a different district. Vivian, this is Lou. He moved to Texas last year from New Orleans. Nice to meet you, Lou. I always wanted to visit New Orleans. Vivian was what Lou supposed was called a perky goth. Dark on the outside, cheery on the inside. Her clothes seemed more homemade than Hot Topic, which reminded him of some older goth kids that hung out in Jackson Square back in New Orleans. For a moment, he felt a pang of homesickness that he hadn't experienced in some time, maybe because she reminded him of days he and Jeff still lived in Walnut Square out in New Orleans East. Back in those days, he'd hop the public bus and head downtown, They'd sit around Jackson Square watching the artists and buskers do their thing. Painters would create quick but respectable portraits of tourists with money burning away in their pockets. 
The tarot card readers represented a strange and esoteric presence that always fascinated Lou. He could remember time after time asking if he could get his palm read. Jeff would always tell him no, it was a waste of money and a bunch of superstitious foolishness for drunk visitors to New Orleans. Still, though, Lou always swore that when he was old enough to come down to the square alone, he'd finally lay down some cash and see what the cards held in store for him. Vivian, uh, you'd, um, you'd fit in nice in New Orleans, Lou stammered. The principal returned to his office, and Lou gestured for Viv to follow him as he tried his best to remember where everything was in a school that he himself was still a bit new to. They'd made it halfway down the first hall when she spoke. Lou Woods, younger brother of Jeff Woods, I didn't think I'd meet anyone like this on my first day here. Lou waited for the snide comment, the fearful eyes, or perhaps even the pity. He found that not all children were as cruel-hearted as Logan. Some were worse, treating him like something to be feared and avoided. Others handled him like porcelain, as though the any mention of his past life in Louisiana at all would simply shatter him into dust. That's me. So if you go up this hall... Damn it. I'm sorry, Lou. That was a bitchy thing for me to say like that. I, I'll never know what it's like to go through what you did, or at least... I hope I'll never know. Sort of get what it's like to be treated like an outcast, she said. She raised her arm and did a slight turn, as if to punctuate her position with a visual demonstration. My dad's an artist, and he's come up with some pretty crazy exhibits. Kids at my last school happened upon one of his more ambitious showcases, and well, let's just say I, it got so bad for me that I had to switch schools. What was it? Lou asked. He's really into gore, like, that's his forte, you could say. He created a really bloody scene. Fake blood, of course, but... Oh god, I'm so stupid, Lou, I'm so sorry. What's the matter? It's just, I'm talking about this fake bloody crap that my father did, and you, you had to see the real... thing. At times like this, Lou generally would crawl into his own emotional shell politely lie and say that he wasn't bothered or offended, and then awkwardly continue his day. He didn't intend to break away from his routine this time, but it still happened. Maybe it was the open and honest vibes radiating from Vivian that brought on his new response, but once it was out, Lou didn't know how to feel. I thought it was fake blood when I first saw it on my parents' wall. I have no idea how my mind was going to logic it being there, you know, but that was what I thought for at least a second or two. But you don't have to explain anything to me. He cut her off. My brother Jeff, um, Jeff the Killer, as everyone calls him now, he just snapped one night, I guess. If you knew who I was, then you're familiar with the case, the flare gun, the damage to his face, my mother's concern that he was going to embarrass the family or something. Yeah, I listened to Monica Davenport's Jeff tapes. I guess when you just see it on television and never have to meet the people it happened to, you could just observe it as a spectator. It's wrong that people have to use this for publicity, though. No, it's not. It's a story. They're reporters. Did you know that I tried to tell my parents that night before I went to bed? Vivian shook her head slowly. Jeff was acting weird and... Suddenly, a familiar voice laced with sarcastic sarcasm and ill intent broke into their conversation. Fucking Lou! Who's this? Mortician that buried your mom? Trace Duncan asked. He had three other kids with him, two boys and a girl. She was a cheerleader that often hung around the likes of Trace. Come on, Vivian whispered, giving Lou's arm a slight tug. However, he stood his ground. The sensation was upon him again. The very same feeling that he'd felt when opening up to Viv... It was something that he liked. A sense of situational understanding. He didn't feel flustered or confused, as he almost always did in these types of situations. Logan, the mortician that buried my mom, was a 60-year-old man with a crooked nose and glass eye. Vivian here is anything but that, wouldn't you say? So, you're into freaks now, Lou! He fired back, causing the cheerleader to giggle her approval. No, just being real with you. 
Vivian is beautiful. If she were my mortician, I'd probably track down my fucking brother and ask him to finish off what he started. That's sick, dude. The cheerleader scoffed, as though all of her friend Logan's comments about Lou's past were just fine, perfectly appropriate. But let the actual survivor say something, and suddenly he should be ashamed. A lot of that shit back in Mandeville was sick. Um, Jackie, is it? Jackie, the cheerleader, nodded. Logan, to my knowledge, Jeff never fucked the corpse of my mother, or father for that matter, but then again, it was dark when he came into my room and said that weird goodbye, so if he had a chub, I wouldn't have been able to tell. Logan appeared to consider his options. Lou decided to assist. Logan, you can go ahead and make the joke that's on the tip of your tongue right now. Call me gay for my brother or something. I mean, after all, I just referenced him coming into my dark room with a possible heart on, or maybe... You'd like to know what it was like living there, dealing with assholes like Randy Hayden. Did you know that he and his parents had to go into hiding? I mean, Jeff the Killer took out his two best friends. It seemed logical he was next. What was it like? Yeah, back before Jeff went, you know, asked one of Logan's friends. Crazy as a shithouse rat is the phrase I think you're looking for, Lou corrected. And this time... All those present, Trace Duncan included, responded with laughter that was not at all mean-spirited. Don't we have class? Duncan asked. Logan, I know you aren't worried about getting back to class. Do you guys really want to hear some Jeff stories or not? Let's go. I know a place with some shade out behind the gym. Lead the way, Logan, Clear replied. As he and Vivian followed behind, she leaned close to him and whispered, you don't have to do this, you know. If you don't want to tell these creeps about your past, you certainly shouldn't. Lou turned a smile to Viv, a smile that felt real and happy. A smile, a feeling that he'd been lacking in his life for a very long time. Vivian, I do want to tell them. They're interested. And this shit isn't doing anything but turning into a slow tumor if I keep it bottled up. Come on. You won't be looking for us anytime soon. I'm supposed to be giving you a tour, after all. An hour later, Lou finished his story to a crowd of at least a dozen students. Others had seen Logan and his pals circled around the two new kids, and likely assumed that some gawk-worthy action was about to take place. In many ways, they were correct. Just so this fucking asshole Randy, he just got away? Logan asked. His tone and demeanor was so different now that it was almost as if he was a different person. Yep. His dad saw the writing on the wall, you know? Jeff was hunting down people, one by one, and Randy most certainly was the next target. Oh, that sucks! That douche sounds like he's he should have been first! Lou, did you ever have, you know, like the same impulses? Like, you know, for revenge? Asked Jackie, the cheerleader. Do me? Christ, no. I mean... Can you imagine what the paper would have called me? My brother already has the least frightening serial killer title in history. I'll get Jack the Ripper. That just sounds cool as shit, but Jeff the Killer? God, I guess whoever was on writing duty that day, he was just going on for the minimalist style, right? If I'd lost my mind too, I'd probably get some Lou the Stabber or homicidal. Lou. Vivian whispered as she tugged on his shirt sleeve. What's up? I think we've missed at least two classes by now. I mean, this is fun, and I love listening to your story, obviously, but this is my first day. I don't know if this is how I wanted to start out here. Logan looked up, a smile on his face. Hey, Lou, your girlfriend need to get to class? Lou felt the defensive wall shift inside him for a moment. Then he looked at the earnest and friendly grin on Logan's face and realized that his question had not been laced with any hint of sarcasm. He honestly just assumed they were together. I think she does. Uh, but we're not dating. She just got here today. Oh, well, you guys make a cute couple. You should consider it. Jackie chimed in, and a few other girls nodded in agreement. Okay, then. Later, people. He and Vivian walked away. As they entered the school, their steps making loud echoes in the empty hall... Viv had a life-changing suggestion. Lou, I know it's your story and you're a pain to deal with, but 
when you were out there telling your story, I don't know, I saw real joy in you. I'm not sure if it was just because the usual pricks were sitting and listening instead of hurling insults, but you were enjoying yourself, weren't you? I was. I really was. I never knew what to do with it, you know? The weight of being Lou Woods. Today, though, it just felt right. If you wrote a book, I bet a lot of people would buy it. I don't know. People already know the story. It's all over the internet. Jeff the Killer is possibly the most popular horror story online right now. Probably second most, Vivian responded. Either way, though, Vivian, there isn't much else to tell. The web's pretty much saturated with the plight of Jeff, and I'm not much of a writer. I'm not suggesting you just write about the facts of the case. What I'm saying is that you should write your version. You know, tell the story your way. Dig into it. Tell them about Lou Woods, not just Jeff Woods. I mean, 2015 is over, right? It was a bad year for you, a bad year for the community of, of Mandeville. If you could give the people something fresh, something new, sure. You have to stick to the original events. But you can add to it, expand it. I bet people would love it. I'd give that about a 50-50 chance right there, Viv. Will you at least think about it? Of course. I mean, will you help me if I do? You're the artsy one, after all. Of course. From that day forward, the harassment came to an almost complete halt. It had a taper a bit here and there, but with Logan no longer leading the charge, and the word spreading that Lou was willing to give full details of growing up with one of the most sensationalized murderers in the country... Public interest had shifted from ridiculing to listening. Lou and Vivian remained close friends, and she often asked if he'd started writing yet. He always told her that he wasn't quite there yet. In truth, he tried a few times but found himself just staring at his computer monitor. In his head, he could easily string his feelings together, but when it came to translating them into type, he found that even the title was beyond him. Hey there, kids, it's me, Mr. Creepypasta, and I just wanted to tell you thank you so much for watching tonight's video, or listening to tonight's podcast on the podcast, if you're listening to that there at Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you can happen to listen to podcasts. Also, I just want to take a quick second to tell you guys about HorrorCon VR. HorrorCon VR is actually a horror convention that I'm putting together with a group of my friends who are YouTube horror creators and other horror creators and just sometimes VR chat creators and things like that. You can find out more at horrorconvr.com or follow us on Twitter at horror underscore VR. It's going to be hosted on VR chat in October. And the best part is you do not need a VR headset to be able to join and play. So check out those places. Join us on Discord. And we do meetups every Saturday, which is fun. And of course, I wanted to give a big thank you to everyone who checks out patreon.com slash mrcreepypasta and supports the show, keeps the light on, gives me treats for my now two cats, both Hylas and Hercules. Both of them are a handful. And especially a big thank you to Hahasaha, Jordan Alexander Sanchez, Mazakin, Ken Lando Higuchi, Chambinsky, Nico Kao, Tristan Pelton, Stephen Van Hus, Chance Burnett, Diana Krause, G. Weevil 3, The Red Oak Shield Virus, Hades Nephew, Carter Barenfanger, Dr. Strawberry, Jordan Wayne Deckard, Bradney Lipe, The Government Monitoring System, Anne Charon, Rumble Fox, Acid System, Mike Bullock, Rafael Rodriguez, Dan Sweet, Mad Marshdomp, Prozac and Pancake Appreciation Society, Sean Mills, Brian Arce, Cryptic Nightmares, Shadow Morningstar, Somber Puppet, Brianna Wright, Someone You Love, Said the King 56, Bad Honey, S-Man, Kiri the Sloth, Patrick Schoolmeister, Thomas Burgett, Barbara Maceo, Bobby Carmen, Liam Newman, The Homeless Bird 93, Sky Harbor, Caleb Dougal, Last Blade Song, Eliminator 86, The Ginger Bros, Aaron Stormcrow, and Corey X. Kenshin. A big thank you to all of you guys and everybody down there in the description. I really can't thank you guys enough for supporting the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And everybody who listens, sweet dreams. 
If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but MIDI Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. 